Fantastic. Come on, I think it's a step of faith for somebody today, a couple, to lead a small group. Uh, if you can make a nice cup of tea or coffee, open your home and welcome somebody into it, or, or just organize a group of people to go for a walk, that's as simple as it means to be a, a small group leader. We've got all the resources we can help uh, provide you with everything you need, so uh, make sure, come on, if God's calling you to be a small group leader, sign up. Uh, let's, let's make it happen this year. Um, next week, we've got a very, very special family day happening for all of us, uh, Anointing Sunday, one of my favorite days of the year. I love this day where we get to gather, um, and as families, we pray for every single person, uh, man, woman, child, young person, we lay hands on them as, as a local leadership team on behalf of the oversight, uh, and we just pray and release God's blessing and favor. So come on out, um, and we've also got a very special uh, service that we're linking in with our Botany campus, taking over from uh, Luke and Marilyn, and it's the start of their transition, uh, the handing on of the baton. So we're going to be, uh, it'll be kind of a delayed link because it doesn't quite sync in with our uh, time frames, but uh, we're looking forward to being able to just connect with, uh, with that service uh, next Sunday as well. So it's really, really exciting things coming up. Well, for the last uh, six weeks, God has been speaking to me very strongly about uh, the men in our church. And uh, ladies, please don't switch off because um, this is, that's half of you, right? <laughs> but, uh, but how many people think that if we lead and love and serve our, our families and our communities, our community becomes a better place? And I'll tell you what, if you've got a husband or a, or a son or a father or a nephew or an, or, or an uncle then probably your prayers and your ears might be uh, helpful here today as well. I just believe God is saying to the men of Elam that uh, you do have what it takes to live, to love, to lead, to serve the people in your community, your own families. And uh, I, I want to I, I go on a little bit of a journey to start with today because if, if I was to say describe the modern man f- for me, what would that look like? Let's just take fashion, for example. We're going to go through a bit of a journey of 100 years of the modern man. 1920, let's, let's check out. This is what it looked like to be a modern man. I like that. I, I, think, that's, I think that's class. That's 1920. What have we got? 1940, I think, was the next one, was it? Mate, get those pants up to your, your mid, eh? <coughs> Fantastic. 1950. Oh, come on. Who wants to bring one of those to church next week? Fantastic. Come on, what about the 60s? Denim. Man, I was wearing denim when it was out of fashion, when it's in fashion, and when it's back out of fashion again, and when it's back in again. I reckon just stick with one and and roll with it. 70s. Come on, look at that. Beautiful. Come on, 80s. Now, Now it gets really interesting. All right, confession time. How many men wore something like that in the 80s? Hey, it's Rhett, Rhett Brown. I bet you did. I know you would have worn something like that. Come on, 1990s. Come on, the tie-dye era, the baggy pants, 2000. This is where I started to hit fashion in a big way. Yeah, denim on denim on denim. 2010. I mean, I mean, look at look at this. This is all of 2010. One, two, three, four. We couldn't make up our minds, could we? 2010. Let's have a look. And then now uh, we got 2020. Have we got 2020? This is the summer of 2020. 
If, if we're to follow the trends of the day and think that that's what it means to be a modern male, is there any wonder that we're all a little bit confused? Who do we look to? Who do we look man or not? I mean, let's not even talk about facial hair and, 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 and hair on the head. You know, if growing a beard is a requirement of being a male, then I will be forever a boy. Because this beard just doesn't grow. I've got these two patches on either side. Apparently the top knot is gone. But can I tell you that the, the mullet and the rat's tail, there is a place for that in every generation. Surely goodness and a good mullet will follow you for the days of your life, I reckon. But you know what? We're bombarded with examples of men to follow, right? Men that set up as, as become successful, and we look at them and we think, if I can be like that man, I've got it made. Men that, let's be honest, they rise, and at the point of their success, often just fall. I mean, like Tiger Woods or Bill Cosby or even Christian leaders and pastors that, that fall supposedly on their own success. And we look and we ask the question, what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a man in the eyes of God? The book of Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cash another ver- version says. And would you agree with me that in this world we are seeing a lot of people living unrestrained lives? People that, that don't know where they're going, they don't know who they are, and they don't know where they're going, and so they are loose and all over the place. Men trying to hard has a desire for every male, every female, if we would look to him for that answer. At the core of every male and female, there is a desire to become a man or a woman after God's heart, not some celebrity, not, not even a, a, a well-respected preacher or a pastor. Don't look to me as your example. Look to Jesus as your example, as the one that you would follow. And if you're anything like me, you probably look at all these examples and and, and you think, I'm not qualified. I messed up again just last night. that, That could be the heart somebody's wrestling with today. What have I told you that that very acknowledgement is exactly where God wants us to be? At that point of realizing that we don't have it all together, God says, that's where it starts. That's what it means to be a man after my heart. I want to focus on three men this morning. Adam, the first male God created. David, one of the most colorful and famous characters of the Bible. And Jesus. So let's start with Adam in in the garden. God made the world with everything in it. Said Adam and Eve, this, this is all yours. I give it all to you. But whatever you do, don't touch the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. Well, that's the picture I had that God told Adam and Eve that, that you know, I had this picture of, you know, as a kid growing up, Adam, Eve, God, apple tree, good. You know, bananas, good. Mangoes, good. Durian, probably don't want to, but it, you can if you want, you know. And then the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch that. If you do, you will die. But actually, God didn't give the instruction to Adam and Eve. He gave the instruction to Adam. Let's read this together. Genesis 2, 15 to 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Eve wasn't there when God gave that instruction. So then God creates all of these creatures and lines them all up. You know, Adam begins to name them all, and God says, I can't find a helper. One that will go alongside Adam, will work in partnership, a helpmate. He's, I can't find one, so he created one specifically from Adam's rib. We were eating ribs the other day, and my Zoe, four years old, says, I'm eating Eve. <laughs> Preachers, kid, eh? <laughs> so Adam was aware. He knew it was wrong. God had told him, and when God gave him a helpmate, Someone to love and lead, it was his responsibility, surely, to teach Eve what was right and what was wrong. And it would appear he did. Because when, the Satan, when Satan comes as a snake and says to, to Eve, try this fruit. It looks good. Taste it. You know, her response is exactly what Adam was taught. No, 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 no. We can't eat from that fruit because if we eat there, we will surely die. Satan kind of questions it, really? Will you really die? So, so Adam had clearly shared it with Eve that, that was wrong. But she, she wanted to. She saw it. She liked it. She thought it was attractive. And is that not our problem too? We, we know we shouldn't lie. And yet we do, we exaggerate. We know we shouldn't lust, and yet our eyes wander when they shouldn't. We know we shouldn't get angry us, and we do it anyway. Is that not my battle, your battle? Is, is that just kind of a daily occurrence, that, that wrestle that we face with this thing called sin? See, verse 6, it says, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You know, we wouldn't sin if there wasn't anything desirable about it. If sin was eating tripe, I'd live a perfect life. I don't like tripe. I don't like it. Some of you might. That's great for you. But I, I just wouldn't struggle with sin if it was eating tripe. But sin is appealing. It's attractive. Sin lures us in, kind of, kind of cast, brings desire. We, we read about that in James, that, that our heart desires it, and then our, our, our body is given to that sin. And this is what it says in the second part of verse 6. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Adam was there, and in that moment, I believe he could have said, you know what, Eve? I've got to trust the faithfulness and the goodness of God. If he says it's not good for us, let's not eat it. And we're, we're all real quick to judge Adam and Eve, right? And yet we know what's wrong and what's right, and yet we still go ahead and do it. More days of the week than we wish we would. I hope I would get a show of hands on this one. <laughs> That's the reality. Your battle, my battle, we're all wrestling with this thing called sin. God had an opportunity, gave an opportunity for them to process their decision-making, to do something about it. 
And they sin, and what follows is a cycle of guilt and shame, denial, blame. And from that day to this, it continues to keep men and women away from the presence and the heart of God. Sin, and how we respond to sin. So God says, where are you? God's walking in the, in the garden like he does every single night. And he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are my kids? I want to walk with my kids in the garden like I do every night. I want to talk about our day. I want to talk about what we achieved and the amazing things you did. Where are you? Now, God wasn't looking for a GPS location. He wasn't wondering which bush Adam was hiding behind. But Adam and Eve went to hide because all of a sudden they felt naked and they felt shame. We were in relationship up until now. Where have you gone? Where's that relationship? There was a moment right there. Adam could have said, you know what, God, I'm sorry. It was me. I was wrong. I should have, should have done something about it. I should have come to you. But he didn't. What does he do? We heard you coming. We heard you coming. We heard we were naked. And then God asked, how, how, how did you know you were naked? naked was something to be ashamed of because all of a sudden the knowledge of good and evil had placed sin and shame and guilt and all of those things was all there in front of them another opportunity to say God I was wrong but then Adam rather than taking responsibility he shifts the blame it was a woman it was her fault And if that wasn't bad enough, he says, the woman you gave me, the woman that you made that you thought was going to help me, she didn't help me. In fact, I'm going to blame her, and I'm going to blame you. See, if we shift blame when the responsibility is ours, we do just what Adam did. So God banishes them, removes them from the garden. Now, often we can look at that. We can think that God's an angry God. But you know, there were two trees in the garden. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was also the tree of life. It was for their love, the love that he had for them. Because if they were to eat from the tree of life, they would be eternally separated from God. Just let that sink in just for a minute. God loved us so much that he said, I, you know what? I'm going to deal with this thing called sin because I want to be with my kids forever. Not separated. I believe it was an act of love that had Adam and Eve out of the garden. Because he says, I'm coming up with the plan to win my kids back. Come on, what dad would not do that? Would not put down something, even a boundary to protect our kids because we know what's good for them. We see what they don't see. Come on, this is the heart of a father that says, you think I'm punishing you, but I am protecting you because I love you so much. That is God's heart. Can we look at David this morning? (laughs) Shepherd boy, 
who become king and was spot boy he fought off lions and bears to protect his father's sheep. As a teenager, he fought and he defeated a giant. The people wanted a king and so they chose Saul. Tall, handsome, fitted the part. He was a man's man, probably had a good beard. Maybe a mullet. I'm going to go with a mullet. He was a man's man. He was, he was what the people thought they wanted. But God says, no, 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 I've, I've rejected him. You, you look on the outward appearance, and we do. And that's a good thing. You know, it is. Reality is you know, what we do. P- people see what we do. They see how we behave. But God says, what matters to me is what inside, is inside a man and a woman's heart. And in Acts 13, 22, as God rejects Saul, he says, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. So David, he's anointed as king. From his late teens through, to, through his 20s, he, he hides from the king that wants to kill him. The king says, I love you, David. I, wanna, I, wanna, yeah, I believe in you. So, so for probably 13 years, we understand he was in the wilderness hiding from the king that wanted to kill him, even though he knew one day he'd be king. At 30, he's finally crowned king. He's anointed king of Israel. Begins to, to just win victory after victory. His kingdom is building. This, this man is the most successful man in the history of mankind. And there's some around his 40s, scholars would say. When all of his men are out fighting a battle, as the king should do it in springtime, David stayed home. Don't know why he stayed home. We don't know for sure. But he wasn't doing what he was called to do. And he was standing on the rooftop. And he looks out and he sees Bathsheba, beautiful woman bathing. Leonard Cohen, he kind of covered that song, pretty, that story pretty well. And he sees her. He lusts after her. He had an opportunity in that moment to say, this is wrong. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But he doesn't. David goes ahead and he sins. We know the beginning from the end. If God knew everything that was going to happen and God knew everything that David was going to do, did he also know that, you know, that didn't surprise God? God wasn't pleased with it. He's not pleased when we mess up. He's sad. Breaks his heart. Come back. Don't run away. Don't hide from me, Adam. Just fess up. Make things right with me. And at the point where King David was about to create a legacy, as great a king, he falls on his own success. See, many men hit the top of their game. The midlife crisis, I think the, the, the reason for a midlife crisis, and I don't declare that over anybody, because I, I, I just think that's a life on the pit of hell. But I think there's a point in our lives, men, where, we, where we've achieved what we thought would bring us satisfaction. We got the job. We got the promotion. We, we own the company. We got the family, the, the, the wife, the kids, the everything. We got the car. We got the house. We got these things that we think is enough for us. And like Solomon, we go, everything's meaningless. Solomon had everything. Like nothing. And even at that point, he says, it's still not enough. It was, it was like grasping for the wind. And so, so David, he finds himself in this place. What would he do? Let's summarize. He lusts after Bathsheba. 
Then he uses his position of power, sleeps with her. She falls pregnant. So he's committed adultery. She falls pregnant. David finds out that she's pregnant. And so he takes responsibility, right? No, no. David then calls Uriah from the battlefield. This is Bathsheba's husband. He says, come home. Spend a weekend with your wife. He's trying to cover it up. He's hoping that she will sleep with him so that the baby will be theirs. But Uriah was more of a man of God than David was. He wouldn't even go inside the house. He slept in the porch. He's like, how, how could I have time with my wife if my men are out there fighting in the battle? So he doesn't even have sex with Bathsheba on his furlough. He's back out to battle again. And David, at that point, he still presses through with the sin. And he orders for Uriah to be put at the front of the battle. And then the troops withdrawn so he would be murdered. This is a man after God's heart. Anyone else find this a whole lot worse than eating a piece of fruit? Why did God choose David? Why did David, was, why was he set as an example for you and for me? It's not going so well this morning. Trust me, it gets better. Here's what we must understand if we have any chance of becoming a man after God's heart like David. We have to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. That we're not good enough. Newsflash. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't earn our way into God's good books. That thought alone can set a whole lot of people free today. And I believe and I pray, I've been praying this week that some people would just understand this today. We're not good enough. And that's why God is so good. If we try with every human effort, we'll still fail and fall and generation after generation continue to climb and fall down that slippery slope of trying to get to God with our good works. The first step to freedom is acknowledging we don't have it all together. I do like that about AA. I'm Mike. I'm an alcoholic. I've got a problem. Let me be real and honest with you. What made David a man after God's heart is that he messed up, but then he was prepared to acknowledge it. You see, Nathan the prophet came. Now remember, Uriah was killed by David. So Nathan comes with a word from God saying, Nathan, you're the man who killed another man for the sake of a woman who wasn't even your wife. Do you think Nathan might have been just a tad nervous about that conversation? But I'm so thankful for Nathan's in my life. I love you so much. I love you so much. I've got to share this with you. You're not going to like what I'm saying, but I have to tell you. And David, his response, this, this is why David is a man after God's heart. This is what he says to Samuel 12, 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Full stop. No excuse. No blame shift, no denial. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Isn't that different from the garden? Friends, your confession, my confession can be the same. I have sinned against you, Lord. My addiction is sin against you, Lord. My unforgiveness 
to that person that hurt me is sin against you, Lord. My jealousy is sin against you, Lord. My pride of trying to do it all on my own is sin against you, Lord. If we were to be honest with God, we would be just like David, a man or a woman after God's heart. Does the team come this morning? God's mad about you, not mad at you. Do you you know that? He, He loves you so much. See, when King Saul messed up, he wanted Samuel to make things right with the people. It was like, just just make sure, because Saul offered a sacrifice that he shouldn't. It wasn't his job to do it. And said, I know I've messed up, but can you make sure everybody's okay with the fact that I messed up? And can we just kind of cover this over and make it all right with everybody? See, Saul wanted to please some people. But God says, I just want somebody who's going to be honest and say, I got it wrong. This Christmas, I, I made a... A real error. I let something come out of, my, out of my mouth that I shouldn't have let come out. I was playing a game, was family down in Tauranga, and out came this comment. It was a comment that really hurt Amy. I cut her deep. Now, I had a choice in that moment. What do I do? <laughs> I just fudge it over. And <laughs> not that big a deal. It's just fine. It wasn't. I cut it deep. Didn't intend to, but out it came. What do I do in that moment? I said, babe, I'm so sorry. I got, I got that wrong. It's completely out of line. And then I went back into the room with my family-in-law, the whole family, and I apologized to all them too because they heard my comment. But I will eat it for the rest of my life for the sake of the relationships that mattered to me and the one that matters the most to me is my relationship with God. And if that means I've got to come before God every day and say, God, I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. So as we close into one more man, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who didn't think equality was God, with God was something to be grasped with. And no, no, no. He, he took on the form of a servant. Even obedient to the point of death, Jesus humbled himself and died on a cross for you and I. And he tells a story. He tells a story about two sons. They both had an inheritance coming to them. But the younger one says, I want mine now, Dad. Can I have mine now? Anyone wanted that? Anybody push for that thing with God? Saying, I know you think you know what's best for me, but I'm going to go ahead and do my own will because I think I know better. And he squanders it all. He he realizes that he's got nothing left. And he comes to this realization at some point in his life where he says, even my my father's slaves are eating better than I am and living a better life than I am. Maybe I'll go home and I'll say, Dad, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but, but could I be maybe your slave and live in your home again? So he's rehearsing the speech. Dad was already watching the road. My friends, God was watching the road as you got out of your car this morning and you walked into this place. As your heart was turning back to Him or to Him for the first time. 
And his response, he runs. God is running to you, my friends. As you are arriving here today, he's running to you saying, my son, my daughter. So the boy, he comes up with a speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And his dad wouldn't have anything of it. He grabs him. And he calls to his servants. He says, come, bring, 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 bring three things. I want you to bring a robe. I want you to bring a ring. I want you to bring some sandals. Those three things spoke of what God offers to any, any person who would bow their knee. A robe of righteousness. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. God says, I clothe you with a righteousness that comes from Christ alone. You don't have what it takes, but Christ does, and He did, and He will for all time offer you a righteousness that will cover your sin and your shame and your nakedness. Do you have that robe? Isaiah talks about our our attempts at religion and getting things right are like filthy rags in the sight of God. God says, stop wearing those rags. I've got a robe for you. I've got a robe of righteousness through Christ alone. Then he gives him a ring. He puts on his ring. The ring represents a covenant. Now, a covenant was something so much more than a promise. We break promises all the time. A covenant with God was set in blood. Blood was shed so that the covenant would be established. God doesn't break the covenant. We do. But you know what God says? Return to me. Covenant's still there. He's saying, don't hide. But I sinned. I looked at something I shouldn't look. I got drunk. I had three beers instead of one. I got angry. I said this to my wife. I, I, whatever it is. God says, I know. I know. Wear the ring. Wear the ring I gave you. Receive the righteousness of Christ. And then he talks about some shoes. He gives them the shoes of discipleship. He says, now walk it out. And man, 2020, we're going to walk it out. We're going to walk out our discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Truly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Humility. Jesus says, come follow me. Bring your junk. Bring your mess. I get it. I hung on a cross, naked, beaten for your... I can handle your stuff, he says. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't upset me. What upsets me is when you don't bring it to me. That breaks my heart. God loves you so much, my friend. But you know, there was a second son. And I close with this. A second son who heard there was a party going on. What's fascinating to me is that the older son who'd done everything right, he didn't even know there was a party going on. He needed a slave, another servant to tell him what was happening, which tells me he was in the house, but he didn't know what was going on. Come on, let's not be that person that, that, that even comes to church every Sunday but doesn't know what God is doing. 
can't sense the heart of the Father. He says, I've done everything right. I've ticked all the boxes. I've got all the rules right. And the Father says, you had all of this. You say you didn't have a party? No idea. You weren't enjoying the joy of your salvation. God's saying, come on, man. Let's enjoy our salvation this year. The robe of righteousness that comes from Christ, the covenant of the relationship, the ring, the promise that is unbreakable. And let's walk together in relationship. I want to read as I close David's prayer. Because this is why David was a man after God's heart. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God. In fact, before I read this, I I wasn't going to do this, but I, I kind of feel like we need to. Maybe every head bowed, eye closed. I, I just feel like we need to put on our shoes, men especially, and not care anymore what anybody thinks. If you know this stuff in your life, you've got to just give to God today. Why don't you get it up out of your seat? Come and kneel before God. I'm down. done. I'm done trying to pretend I've got it all together. Done trying to impress people or please people. Just want to please Dad. That's it. I haven't got what it takes. I don't think any of us do. Psalm 51. It's David's prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Goes on in verse 10. This is my cry. Let this be your prayer today. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me. And I speak this over every male. Every female here today, restore unto them the joy of your salvation. Joy in the journey. doesn't mean the pain and the trials won't be there, but in the middle of the storm, we have the joy of our salvation because we're walking right with you. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And here's discipleship right here. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. God, for every heart, Lord, those on the altar, those that are in their seats, saying, God, I turn my heart back to you. Thank you, Lord, we are forgiven 
on the confession of our faith. On ask, God, we're sorry we're wrong. We, please forgive us. We ask you to forgive us today. And maybe the, for the first time you're saying, God, I need your help. I don't have what it takes. He's heard your prayer today. We're going to walk together like we've never walked before in relationship, like David. I got it wrong. Please forgive me. Now get up and walk. Now get up and walk. And every person on their knees, you get up and stand. You stand now. In the, you're no longer under the burden of sin. You're being forgiven. You stand now in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Forgiven, free, whole in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't we